Hey friends, welcome to the LifeScan Learning Lab edition of the Get Balanced Podcast with me, Dr. Donnie, and my co-host, Chief Todd LaDuke, also the Chief Strategy Officer of LifeScan Wellness Center. We are back from sabbatical and we are ready to produce some shows. This is episode 153. Welcome to the Get Balanced Podcast with Dr. Donnie. If you're a firefighter, law enforcement officer, or emergency medical professional who would like to improve your family relationships, your physical and mental health, and want to have success at work and at home, well, this show is for you. Welcome to the Get Balanced program. Let's get started. All right. Welcome back to the LifeScan Learning Lab edition of the Get Balanced Podcast with me, Dr. Donnie, and my co-host, Chief Todd LaDuke, also the Chief Strategy Officer of LifeScan Wellness Centers. And Todd, let me kick this right over to you and introduce our guest for today. And Todd, you're muted. <laughs> Not sure how that happened. Uh, hey, Donnie. Hey, we, we, we fumbled. Hey, like at the one yard line there, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, I told you it's usually me. I fell on the ball. <laughs> not, got the wind knocked out of you. All right. You can take it that's from right. there. All right. Sounds good. Hey, Donnie, I'm uh, thrilled to be back taping another episode with you. We've, we've got a great guest with us uh, today. And um, let's get, uh, uh, you know, labor focus with the IFF. And, and uh, I'm real excited about the conversation uh, today. So we've got Brian uh, Ganud. Um, on who's uh, the, the uh, president of East Hartford, Connecticut uh, Firefighters Union. So that's the local 1548 with the IFF. So uh, Brian, welcome. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, I, I wanted to um, maybe ask, let's start, you know, Donnie reminds me all the time um, that we've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of listeners to the podcast and um, some of them actually outside uh, the United States. So we've got a global audience. So um, why, don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit and our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you get into the fire service, uh, where that journey's taken you, how you ended up uh, um, involved as the local president now. Um, just give us a little introduction to, to Brian. Sure. So I actually, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, wanted to be a fireman like I was since I was a kid, probably like most people listening, you know, you saw a fire truck when you're a kid and just fascinated with it. So um, that was kind of my goal going through high school. And then I knew I had to do something. So I ended up going in the Coast Guard. Started that for about, let's see, I did seven years active. I was a helicopter uh, search and rescue guy out of Cape Cod. Got out of that because they were sending me to Alaska and I had no desire to go there. So here I am. Um, got my paramedic up in Cape Cod and then started testing all around. Got offered a job at a uh, few places and then ultimately ended up in East Hartford because it's just on paper and everything else. It was just the right choice for me. And, you know, fairly busy department compared to a lot of the other departments we we're looking at. And um, I feel like I made the right decision. So I've been on here since 2012, about 10 years. I've uh, been the union president now for two years, been on a union since probably 2014 involved in that. So um, quite a bit of time on a union in total, but not a ton of time as the union president. Um, and we've really been looking to do the life scan thing for probably since 2015, but like every department, a lot of resistance was met when you start talking about all this comprehensive 
physicals and people feel vulnerable and you know is it going to take me off the line am I going to lose my career and all that kind of stuff so I'm excited that we have a young group of guys here and everybody's really looking forward to moving on and and kind of nipping these things in the butt we've had probably I want to say five people get um, diagnosed with cancer um, in the past six seven years one of them lost his lost his life uh, to lung cancer so I think the reality is set in with a lot of people that we're obviously at a higher risk for these kind of illnesses. And if, if we can get these things caught early, you know, that can make the difference between life and death. So looking forward to, to moving forward with that and glad this is offered to us through the IAFF trust. Hey, Brian, look, Todd, let me jump in real quick. If I could, Brian, how did you, how did you help navigate through like people's apprehension about, you know, is this going to take me off the line and things like that? How did you, how'd you guys work through that? So I know, uh, I know Chief Ledoux knows our, our past chief, uh, Chief John Oates. He was um, a big believer in life scan. They wanted to get it here as our, as our 1582 uh, physicals for the whole department. A lot of people were worried about, you know, if the town has access to certain um, findings, what it would do for them in their career. So what we did is we went to negotiations. We were in arbitration. We were using life scan as a tool to try to save some money and get us something somewhere else because it's offered through uh, the IFF trust for free for us. Um, we decided after talking to chief Ledoux, um, our current fire chief, Kevin Munson and coming up with ideas, why doesn't the union back this this way? All the findings would be confidential from the town point of view and it's the members information. So, you know, it, it's not going to pull you off the line, but if you want to make a, a comp case or anything, Further than that, you'd have to disclose it, but that's that's up to you. It's this is really just you for your information. Bring it to your primary. You can do all your testing behind closed doors. If it ends up being nothing, it's nothing. But that's how we sold it to the membership. And um, I think so. We're about 130 man local, and it, this is going to be 100 percent voluntary. And we have about 50 people that have already opted in for this program. Um, and I believe it's going to be in November. And we're still getting emails every day about people that have interest in it. So. So to my surprise, I thought it would be more of the guys on the, downs the downside ending their careers, kind of like going into retirement, that want to know this stuff. The majority of the people we're getting are guys under 10 years on the job. They want, they're want they really proactive about this stuff. We got, um, we were going to negotiations. Some of the stuff that we were getting for suggestions for negotiations was guys wanted, you know, calcium scoring for the town to pay for that. They wanted scrotal ultrasounds, um, mammograms for females, all that kind of stuff. And we found that, listen, LifeScan covers all this. So why why use it in a negotiation tactic when we, we're pretty much getting this for free by having the trust? Um, and that's the route we went and everybody's extremely happy with it. Oh, outstanding. Yeah, Brian, and, that, and that's, you know, it's a great point too. And, and uh, I got to give credit to, to Greg Markley and, and the whole IFF team for, um, you know, the trust kind of embracing um, this early detection and comprehensive early detection because, uh, um, you know, even even my own department, uh, I think this last round of physicals, I retired from Broward County. Um, we had four members with uh, asymptomatic cancer that were identified and, and a spouse went through. We actually found a kidney cancer in, in one of the wives of one of our firefighters. So um, your, your department, like, you know, most in the country, unfortunately, has been directly impacted by cancer. And uh, great, great uh, opportunity to to kind of uh, be proactive and, like you said, um, have a life saving benefit for the members that the trust provides. I, I want to ask. I want to touch a little bit about. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's uh, the horizon for cancer presumption 
um, in the state of, of Connecticut. I know um, there's been some recent um, legislation and, and some recent uh, dialogue in terms of cancer presumption uh, for Connecticut firefighters. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so I know uh, the guys at the state association have been pushing really hard to get this moving. Um, it's been an ongoing process for years. I think something that kind of benefits us and hurts us at the same time is our neighbors uh, to the north there in Massachusetts have presumptive cancer treatment. I think it's like a 10-year look back, really great legislation on that. So we look at that, we kind of use that as something for us to strive and get toward because, listen, these guys are, what, 30 miles from here and they have it. Why don't we? Um, I know they're, they're working hard to get there. Obviously, there's a lot of political things that go into that and a lot of pushback. Um, I, I think with the IFF now taking on their lawsuits and everything for the PFAS and all the gear we wear, I think that's going to help us. Um, obviously, like any, any fight you have, the more the more people that talk and the louder the voice, usually the more you're heard. Um, hopefully we get there. I think we will. I think we have a lot of people working really hard. Um, I do think that, again, the IFF kind of pushing into this PFAS fight and, and the whole cancer thing, just showing that, hey, listen, these guys are getting exposed to uh, carcinogens through their gear. It's not even the stuff, the products combustion. It's, it's stuff that they're wearing. Um, that's, I think that's huge for us. Uh, it, there's nothing we can do about that. That's not saying a guy took his mask off or a guy did this, or he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. It's, Hey, I put my gear on, like you said, and I still ended up with this kind of cancer. So um, I, I think we'll be leaps and bounds further ahead in a couple of years. If this fight keeps going the way it, it seems to be going and with the IFF pushing it the way they are, it, it only helps all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I got to get a really shout out. I mean, uh, I know uh, uh, President Kelly and, and General Secretary uh, Treasurer Lima and, and all the affiliates, you know, spent uh, uh, recently up on the Hill um, really trying to hammer that issue home and, and needing to be addressed uh, to, to make sure we're, we're doing everything possible to eliminate uh, carcinogens. And, you know, hopefully when, when uh, your legislators look at, you know, presumption, uh, you know, a, a exam such as LifeScan um, makes it a lot more palatable, right? Because we're finding things so early, the cost is a lot less and, and obviously better outcomes. So, um, you know, I, I hope you all continue, uh, you know, that fight in, in pressing. It, it's certainly occupational related. Um, you know, the research is there, the studies have been done. Um, so it's a it's a benefit that our members uh, need to have and, and appreciate all the work that you all in Connecticut are doing so hard to make sure that uh, um, your members are afforded the, the best protection uh, that they can. I do well, know uh, it's kind of one of those eye openers when we were at Alts uh, most recently and discussing that whole conversation with, uh, you know, President Kelly and, and um, Mr. Lima there. They were kind of going over the, the causes of death that, you know. Cardiac disease was always the leader for us. And they were saying now cancer is pushed up into the number one front runner for that. And I think that's an eye opener for a lot of people is all of a sudden you've taken something that was so serious to everybody. And, you know, as much as we say with cardiac issues, you know, eat right, work out, there's things you can do to stop it. Cancer is not always that way. You know, sometimes you could be the most healthy guy in a room and guess what? It's the luck of the draw. You know, um, I know one of our academy instructors up at the CFA he was probably the most fit guy there. You know, this guy was the pillar of health and uh, he ended up with uh, pancreatic cancer and passed away. So, you know, it's kind of luck of the draw. And I think that's, that's what's opening people's eyes is cancer doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter. You can be, you know, overweight, underweight, the best blood panel you can ask for. And it's not going to matter, you know? 
It could be genetic. It could be something you're exposed to, you're predisposed to, uh, you know, a lifestyle choice, whatever it is. But I think it opens people's eyes. People are scared of it. Uh, there's not much. Once you get it, sometimes it's pretty scary. Luckily, we're going down this avenue, and I think most of our guys will take advantage of it. So, yeah, no, that's that's a great point. You know, uh, you know, I think the science tells us, uh, you know, 40% of Americans are going to get cancer at some point in their lifetime. Um, so almost one out of every two of us, and then firefighters are higher higher than that. And and we know, you know, the NIOSH study uh, says there's you know a higher mortality rate for cancer in firefighters more more aggressive so uh hey, hey guys let me ask you something brian you mentioned how cancer surpassed the uh cardiac issues um did cardiac come down at all or just cancer surpassed it my understanding is that cancer surpassed it um i i don't have the actual numbers in front of me so i apologize but i'm pretty sure the way i understand it is cancer just went up above it it's not that okay. cardiac dropped it's that cancer went up gotcha yeah, that's, that was my assumption. I just wanted to, Todd, you, you probably know those stats a little bit better too. Yeah. And, and Brian spot on with that. I mean, uh, we, we still, you know, you look at, you look at sudden cardiac death, it's about 50% of our line of duty deaths um, uh, that occur on the fire ground or in training, you know, uh, response to a, an event, but you know, cancer, we don't see right away. Right. So it's lurking inside the body. Uh, but I think the IFF, you know, would tell you about 75% of the names that go on the, the wall, memorial wall out in Colorado Springs are from occupational cancer. So, yeah, it's uh, I mean, we've got to keep our eye on both. But uh, cancer is, is the elephant in the room. And, you know, whether it's my sense tells me it's always been there. Um, just now we're, we're starting to get the research and we're shining a light on it. And, and uh, you know, PFAS yeah. is, you know, something we, we hadn't talked about 15 years ago. Um, so we're. I think we're much more uh, attuned and, and that's a good thing. And, and, and I, I do gotta, think like, like the rest of the population, right. We kind of, we kind of mirror what the population's doing. And I think when a lot of people came on back in, you know, the eighties and nineties and, and the way the firehouse was in general, guys would smoke at the kitchen table, you know, uh, you'd eat, you know, big pasta meals and have three loaves of bread and you ate two loaves of bread before dinner. And, and that's just the way it was, you know, coffee and donuts in the morning, those, those things have kind of changed. And I think this is, this is a worldwide change, not just, you know, East Hartford. I think it's everywhere. I think now because our generations are a little bit, you know, I think more active kind of the, the world has changed in the way we eat and the way we look at food and, and how to process food. And I think the firehouse is, is slowly adapting to that as well. So we're eating better. Guys are more active. You're getting guys that are more into the gym, more into, you know, CrossFit and all that kind of stuff. So I think naturally, as some of those things happen, the cardiac stuff will come down on a trend as we start kind of aging up and, and it getting younger and younger guys in. Um, so I think it's only going to help us, but like anything else, who knows what's on the backside of that, right? There's for every cause there's an effect. So who knows? I, I, I think I'd like to say we're, we're, we're in a much better place, but who knows, you know? Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. It's uh, it's great. We're shining the light on it. I mean, that's the first step in, in uh addressing it so uh um brian i want to i want to ask you a little bit i know you said you've been two years in the role as local president um and, and you know i've had uh, uh the fortune in my career to work very closely with the iff uh, uh my union president uh, walt dix is now the 12th district vice president and um, can you talk a little bit about for our listeners what what the role of uh, a labor leader is 
so what from from my I, I know you've touched on the importance of protecting the health and wellness of the members, but can you give us just a picture of you know what what uh, being president of a of a a local means? I always explain it to everybody is I think I think the the role of the union and the role of the union president kind of gets a bad rep, especially up here in in New England because everybody thinks a union they think of like a construction worker down in New York City and and you know, obviously a, a union firefighter is much different than a uh, excavator operator down in Manhattan. So I think we kind of get a bad rap sometimes and everybody thinks that the unions just sit there, to, we sit around and protect the, the bad employee. And it's really just not the case. Um, I, I think my job and, and the board of our, the job of our board is to just protect the process. It, it's really that we're here to ensure that everybody gets the same treatment. So if you're up for discipline, you get the same discipline as the most proactive guy in a job that the Obviously, maybe I don't know what the politically correct term is, but maybe not the the most proactive guy in a job would get. Um, obviously, the health and safety of the membership um, is is the utmost importance. I, I think that we speak leaps leaps and bounds about that because just this what we're doing with the with the the trust and the um, life scan. As much as we've talked about doing it, it was it was always met with resistance, and whether it was the town fighting it. Uh, the department fighting it, and then the union finally took a stance and said, "No, we're doing this." And financially, the union's the one backing it. Um, which I don't know if this is a, if there's other departments that have done this too. I mean, you probably know better than I do, but um, for us, that's that's more important. You know, okay, so financially, we might take a little bit of a hit, but what, what's what's the end goal? Like, what are we here to do? My job is to make sure that these guys come to work, they go home safe, they're compensated for it, and then they live long after it. That's really all I care about. Everything else is kind of just smoke and mirrors in the middle. And, and really, everybody's here to do their job, you know, and most people that come into this career field, they, they want to do the job. It, it's not it, it's I'd say for the most part, it, it's pretty easy. Um, you know, I think that. The overall navigating of the political side of things for the labor leaders is probably the most challenging because that's really not for me anyway, like my nature, I, I don't really prefer that. I try to stay away from it as much as I could. I don't like to play the political games and, and all that. But um, as far as the membership, I think that's really the priority of any person of any leadership role, whether it's a, a company officer or a union president is just the overall succession plan of the membership, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's great insight and perspective. You know, I, I know uh, having spent most of my time on the chief administrative side, I know, um, you know, how important having that working relationship is, you know, with labor and, and even bringing life scan into many departments when we brought it into Broward, you know, having that that joint labor management approach to the extent, you know, you can, you, you try to be on the same page and um, you get a lot more done. So great. I, I you know, certainly, I, I, you know, the IFF's done a tremendous job, not only with health and wellness, but um, as you said, benefits and in, in making sure that, uh you know, listen, our, our occupation is the tip of the spear, you know, with law enforcement and uh, fire and EMS uh, being the first line of defense in, in most communities, uh, all hazards. So uh, thanks. Thanks for your, you know, taking uh, taking care of the members in, in your service. I do think I do think the hardest battle that we face is, as labor leaders is knowing which battles to fight. Um Obviously, things are brought to you constantly, whether it's, oh, I didn't get paid or, oh, I should be getting this or how come this guy got the overtime or how come this guy's driving this piece or whatever it is. And a lot of that stuff's, to me, really just not as important that the, the general stuff like this, like life scan, when this comes to you, this is one of those things that 
you have an opportunity to make a difference. And whether everybody sees it, I mean, there's still people here that don't agree with it. They think that, you know, we, we have something else we're trying to accomplish. And it's just not the truth. I mean, the truth is we just want guys to be healthy. And um, to me, when this was brought to my attention and we thought about, about it and started researching it, it was a no brainer for us. This is the kind of thing that, to me, this is what makes the job easy, right? These kind of decisions that you can look at and go, you know, what's, what's the negative to it? And you sit there and look at it and go, well, there really is none. Okay. Well, that's an easy decision, right? Right. And, and you think about it. I mean, Todd, we need a, we need a montage of all the emails and phone calls that you and other folks at LifeScan receive from around the country that, and when like your other members, you know, the firefighters that, you know, when they hear this kind of stuff, I mean, cause we've had them on the podcast, people's lives have been saved and I'll tell you, it's hard. You know, we're choking back at that point. Cause it's just like, Nothing saves lives like this. I mean, it's just, you know, getting that early you detection. Sit, you could sit there and I think every fire department, every fireman, every, every, every company, every, every, you know, whatever, every, every local out there has probably had somebody that has been directly affected by cancer. Right. And uh, those stories are what you sit around a coffee table. If you try to avoid the kind of morbid stuff like that, because who wants to talk about that? You know, you want to laugh, you want to joke, you want to pick on each other, but when the stuff comes up and guys listen, it's a, it's an eye opener. And I think once guys start thinking about, wow, what, what happens if I do get this? Like, what's, what's my family going to do, you know? And unfortunately, like nobody wants to think about these things, but I'd rather think about it now and have a, a plan than all of a sudden get told, Hey, you have cancer and you have six months to live. And now, because I didn't do anything, you know, the 20 years that I could have maybe looked into it or done my, my, my uh, follow-ups with my primary care and all that stuff. Now, now I'm paying for it. So you got nobody to blame but yourself at that point, right? That's the way I look at it is that I'd rather know than not know. So if we can just be proactive and, and have these conversations that are tough, and I think anybody that's had cancer would probably agree with that. You know, it's it's a hard conversation, but at the end of the day, if it's going to make a difference, save, save your life, help your family, it's it's the right choice. Yeah, yeah that, that uh, I mean, that speaks volumes. And, you know, Donnie, when, you know, mentioned, I mean, there's not a day that go, goes by that we don't have a local reach out and, uh, have an early detection. And, and listen, you know, our audience, our listeners out there, the reality with cancer, in, in most cancers, it's highly, highly survivable. Outcomes are beautiful um, if it's detected in the early stages. I mean, that's the, obviously we want to prevent it, but, you know, sometimes we can't get 100%. We're not there yet. Um, but, you know, the, the survival drops off the cliff by the time you have symptomology and it spreads. So, uh, uh, I, you're right. It, it is scary a little bit sometimes to, you know, not know what you don't know and then you find out. But, um, you know, th that's the key that if you're embracing early detection and you do it regularly, you know, uh, you're going to afford yourself, as you said, when we started uh, today's podcast, a, a long career and a long retirement with family. And, that, and that's the goal. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, Brian, I want to ask you, um, you know, one of the, you know, we, we do some behavioral health screenings as part of um, um, as part of the life scan physical and, you know, the same thing with behavioral wellness and Donnie, that's, a, you know, one of his, his main focuses, you know, work-life balance, total wellness. Um, in, in it's kind of the same, uh, same type of approach that if, if someone's having a behavioral challenge, if we find it early and we can get them resources, um, they, they want to have a great, career and we don't have tragedies but i wanted to ask you especially you know i don't know if post pandemic is the right word if we're if we're in now uh, you know a, a new normal but 
Um, do you see with, with your local and throughout the state, do you see a lot of uh, behavioral health um, challenges that your members, you know, face and, and are dealing with and, and even beyond just your local? I know you all talk to each other and um, I'm curious to, to hear in our listeners, you know, to the extent that behavioral health um, is, is a focus. And I know that's been an area for the IFF as well. Yeah, I, I think the, the best thing you said was the work-life balance. Um, I know, you know, you're a specialist in it and it's what you deal with, but for us, what we see on, you know, we see it on the other end of it is the, the overtime, the time away from your family, the, the nights, the weekends. Um, right now we're in a transition stage here. So we, I don't want to say unlimited overtime, but it's pretty close. I mean, you come to work and you're going to work the next day. So we have guys working, you know, 48, 72 hours and then going home for a day and then coming back. And, and as we try to tell a lot of the guys is, listen, that's, that's no way to live. I mean, you got, you had a wife, your kids, you're missing out on your kids growing up. And, but it's unfortunate that, you know, some people have to, maybe their, their wives stay home and, and they're taking care of the kids or, you know, they're working on their pension and the way our pension works is it's your highest three years. So guys are in the end of their careers and they're working constantly, but you know, it, that it takes a toll. And not to mention the other stuff, but, you know, it's, it's when you're at work, what do you, what are you seeing? What are you doing? Um, we do, we have ALS engines here, so we do medicals also. And, you know, before COVID, we were probably running, I don't know, anywhere between 11, 12,000 runs a year. That's dropped off quite a bit after COVID, but either way, I mean, you're still going to calls. You're still seeing stuff that's going to affect you long-term, whether it's, you know, a, a child getting injured or a car accident or a fire or whatever it is. And all that stuff has its effect. Um, so we say it all the time is that you got to have that work-life balance. There's, we see it with the newer generation coming on is that they don't, they don't tend to work the overtime. Like a lot of the older, older guys on a job do, you know, they, I'd say the 15 plus year guys, they, it almost pains them to say no to overtime, probably like every job. Right. Um, I, I think you can actually see like veins pulsating in her head if they have to say no. Uh, the young guys here, they, they just don't work. They'd rather go home. They'd rather go out with their significant others or, or go hang out with their with their friends or go to a ball game or whatever it is. So I think there's there's a good there's a good mix in between the two. But um, I think we we have this conversation all the time is. A lot of times it's it's the argument around the kitchen table about all oh, these new guys don't want to work. It's a generational thing. And you try to explain, well, no, I mean, maybe they have that work life balance. Maybe to them it's more important to be out and, and enjoying life now while they can and then when they get to the end of their careers and they have to work the overtime to make their pensions or whatever, or they have kids, they could do it then. But uh, we try to preach it all the time is that no, nothing's guaranteed in life. So if you have an opportunity to go do something, go do it. The overtime will be there the next time. Um, but again, it, it's sometimes it depends on who you're talking to. Some people we've seen people turn around and actually start working less and doing more, taking more time off and getting away from here and, and, and kind of hitting a reset button, if you will. And I do feel that, Post COVID, like you said, I don't know if that's the right term because, but after COVID, we, we've seen a big thing with the financial game. I mean, it's it's the markets. It's a, a bad spot up here. Um, everything's more expensive. I mean, a dozen eggs is six fifty. You know, you can't buy steak anymore for an affordable price, and we won't even get into the real estate market. But a lot of guys here, you know, they're in that kind of hey, I'm starting a family and I got to buy a house, and now they can't buy a house or you know, they sold their house, and there's nowhere to move. And that causes a whole nother set of stresses that it, it kind of overflows into work. So now they show up and it's on their mind that, Hey, I got to be out of my house in two weeks, but I got nowhere to go. And we have to deal with that as a department too, is, you know, how do we, how do we help these guys get through that 
but still have the mindset to go on the calls and do the job. Because at the end of the day, uh, what I always say is we're here to go on calls. That's our job. Um, we're not here to sit around. We're here to to go out and help people, whatever it is, you know, whether it's their, their pipe burst or they have a fire, they have a medical problem. That's our job. So um, it's important for us as, as, as labor leaders and, and as company officers to kind of help people through those, those situations and understand that the work-life balance, like you talked about that, you know, as much as this job is important and we're here to do a job and, and we have to understand too, that these guys have a life outside of here that is going to overflow into this place. And it's just, it's for us, it's hard trying to balance that and help them balance that. And then sometimes, you know, like any other leader, right? You forget about your own balance. You're so busy helping everybody else with their problems that you forget about your own. So especially, especially the union officers. I mean, yeah, because I was out at Vegas. So that was my sixth year at Alts. I don't know if you've ever attended one of my workshops or not, but I I do the work-life balance workshop. And, um, but yeah, you guys are taking calls all the time, 24 seven. And, but one of the things I want to touch on is that, that, that whole piece about the overtime and you mentioned the younger guys, they don't, they don't want to take that overtime and things like that. My son's a young firefighter, but he's single. So he's jumping on every overtime he can get. <laughs> obviously. God bless him. Yeah. And, uh, but I'll tell you, sometimes I've been, I've been, uh, you know, I go out to departments and I do my, my workshops and things like that. And sometimes the chief will say, Hey, is this going to try to, you're going to try to get people to work less. And I'm like, you know what? I generally what the outcome is that I imagine the older guys and you know your brothers and sisters they work with uh, they're working most of the overtime. The younger people are not, so I'm going to try to encourage the young people to step up a little, so that the people that have their kids in high school, you know, hey, don't miss that Friday night football game, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to regret it. You're going to regret it. You know. You know, and it's all about, yeah, just what are our priorities and how do we balance them? And, and, but I agree though, a lot of the younger folks, they, they, uh, they need to take their turn to step up because, you know, the other people are just so ingrained to, you know, someone's got to work it. And, and so it works both ways. I I think that's a good point. I think a lot of times we have those guys that always step up. So even, you know, maybe me, like maybe I don't want to work tomorrow night but I see somebody else is going to get ordered and I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll work. But you know, there, there's, there's a toll to that because at some point I'm going to be up to get ordered and maybe that next guy is not going to step up and help me. So what's that going to do morale wise for me? It's going to make me not want to step up and help that guy next time. Right. Cause it, in, in turn, it kind of bit me when I needed it. So it's kind of a snowball effect. And I feel like, you know, we're, we're fighting that all the time here constantly um, with guys getting ordered and guys trying to step up and help them out or, Oh, this guy's kids. And, this guy needs Christmas off and this guy needs, you know, uh, his daughter's birthday off or whatever. And mm-hmm. unfortunately you get to the point that some of the people stop stepping up and helping because they've been bit too. So it's important that we all kind of just remember we're on the same team here and, and kind of help each other through these processes, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. That's a great uh, piece of advice there, you know? Um, and, and I know you all, you know, chief Oates, I, you know, as you mentioned, close with, with him. I know you all. Uh, in fact, I think we sent some of our folks up from Broward uh, to your department to to uh, get our peer support team up and running. We we uh, took a page out of uh, the work you all had done, and you know, and, and that's what it's about. Like just what you said is is taking care of each other. You know, uh, the reality is if, if we've got baggage we're dealing with, um, oftentimes you know it's it's difficult to check it at the door. 
when we come on shift. So uh, we got we got to make sure we have the resources in place. We've got uh, uh, the team that looks out for each other. So uh, and I, yeah, thank, I think thanks with, with that peer support aspect of it. What, what we've seen from you know talking to our peer support uh, guys is that the members here that need something, whether going through a divorce, uh, loss of a family member, whatever, they feel much more comfortable talking to a, a peer. Right. That's why we have peer support. They've reached out to EAP. Um, usually the people that have reached out to different EAPs haven't been as happy. They've been much more comfortable talking to our peer support teams. And um, our peer support team has helped outside departments when they've had line of duty deaths and that stuff. You know, people have contacted us because Chief Oates was big in getting this peer support thing going at, at an early stage. And we were leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the state with it. So um, our guys are good. They're well trained. And from what I've heard, I've never had to use them, but everybody's more than happy with them. And I think that given a choice, they'll, they'll talk to a guy here over calling EAP or some counselor any day of the week. Hey, it's a, uh, it's a lifeline, right? You, you said it, you know, taking care of each other. You know, we, we have the national fallen firefighters, you know, everyone goes home and um, you know, that has to be, that has to be uh, something we live, not just, you know, preach. So um Great, great work that you're doing up there and difficult topic. I know, you know, behavioral health is always, uh, you know, a, a topic that uh, somewhat is stigmatized still. So I appreciate your candor. And, and Brian, I want to, um, I, I know we're going to look to have you back on probably after, after you have your first round of life scan physicals, we'll, uh, we'll have you back on and we'll talk, but um, for version 2.0, but I, I want to be mindful of your time and, in, in um, so we'll, what, what I'd like to ask you, because you've, you've had uh, some, some unique life experience, military, paramedic, um, you've been in the department for, you know, uh, a decade and, and now two years in, in labor. And we've touched on some personal, um, you know, on the job, off the job. Um, so we our listeners that, that are listening to the podcast come from all uh, walks of life in the fire service. But I, I, I'd like to ask you from if you had to give one piece of, um, I guess, wisdom that, that you garnered along life's journey um, to those that are listening and maybe even to those that are just starting out in the service or thinking about starting in the service, what, what do you think that would be? A couple of things I always tell uh, the guys coming in the door here. Um, I've said it before. One, we're here to go on calls. Remember that. So don't complain about going to a nosebleed at two in the morning. That's what you're here for. Um, that's like the number one thing I, I like to preach. I, I shouldn't say preach. I like to ingrain in these guys when they walk through the door. It's important. It's important you remember where we came from, how bad you wanted this job, and how much people need us. And, and whatever is most mild of an emergency that we might think it is, that person might not think so. So I think that's number one. Number two, I always say, um, and I tell this to the guys on the union, is just stand up for what you believe in. You know, I, I think that a lot of times we, we take a stand and, and you know, you, you draw that line in the sand and, and you make your arguments. And sometimes your argument might feel like it's not the right argument because maybe not everybody agrees with you. But if you truly down to your core, believe it's the right thing, just always do the right thing. Stand up for the guys. Take care of everybody that's, that you work with. Um, I think at the end of the day, you'll feel like everything was fulfilled and you did the right thing. And that's it's a lot easier to go home and, and put your head down on a pillow and close your eyes and go to sleep knowing you did the right thing then thinking of how you you maybe cut a corner somewhere along the way because it was the easier path, you know? So to me, it's just the road might be hard, but sometimes you got to travel it just to figure out what the right thing to do is. So I think most people that come to this job know that. And I think most people always want to do the right thing. That's why they're here. 
I would just say, try to remember that, you know, and try to get involved as much as you can, you know, through whether it's the department, um, uh, community service outside of here in your hometown, if you don't work in your town, just, just get involved. Um, I think it's important. I think that a lot of times, you know, the same group of guys are always taking everything on. And again, back to that work-life balance, right? It's like the same four guys are doing everything. They're doing the retirees parties. They're doing the, the head, the life scan, organizing that they're organizing this, they're, they're, they're doing company drills, everything else. And if those other couple of guys would step up, you know, it, I don't think, I don't think other people realize how much it would be appreciated by the membership and even the community for that matter, if, if you're doing community uh, uh, support or any of that kind of stuff. So those would be my main points to give to somebody starting out. Yeah, no, I think that's some great, uh, some great wisdom, particularly for our listeners out there that maybe are just starting on the job. And, and hey, listen, for even even our seasoned veterans, you know, sometimes we we get tired and, and uh, you know, like you said, you forget why we get into the, you know, the service and the, the profession. So uh, um, just great, well-rounded uh, advice. So, Brian, I, I want to thank you um, not only for coming on today and your time, but your leadership, um, you know, always looking out for doing the right thing for your members and uh, uh, particularly on the, the cancer early detection front. And uh, so, so thank you. Thanks for your service, both to our country and, and to the department and the community. And uh, we will, we will talk to you again shortly. So uh, I, I know uh, you're working on the, on the job. So stay safe, stay well. And uh, again, thanks for your insights today. Thank you both for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. It's a great one. Thank you, guys. Hey, if you're a firefighter, law enforcement officer, or EMS professional who enjoys this podcast and would like some help with your work-life balance, you need to check out my Get Balanced program. Not sure if you are balanced or not? Join me over at DonnieHutchinson.com and take the quiz. Together, we are going to get you balanced.